Hey church, I want to welcome you to At Home Worship. Really glad that you joined us. And if you've recently been on our social media page or our website or the app, uh, you've probably seen the news that uh, we've announced that we're going to be back to live services on Sunday, June 14th. And so we're really excited uh, if you're able to have you join us uh, that, that Sunday. We're going to be continuing in on our series, Summer of Love. Uh, a couple kind of things about it is obviously if you're not feeling well, really for any reason, recently had a temperature, uh, we would uh, ask for you to stay home and continue uh, online worship. Uh, if you're uncomfortable or you, uh, you're having a, a compromised immune system, uh, we would just ask you to, to be wise about the decision that you're making. Uh, we will continue to provide uh, at-home worship. We're currently kind of uh, talking, debating, uh, strategizing how we're going to provide that at-home worship, but know that we are committed to doing that. Uh, it's just a matter of how we're going to do it. So, uh, and we're going to figure that out. We have eight days left, so we're, we're going to figure that out, and we're excited to do that. So uh, that's on a happy note. We're, we're excited to be gathering back together. Uh, know that the building's going to be uh, completely sanitized uh, before uh, and in between services. So uh, that we're going to have a 9 o'clock and an 11 o'clock. No need to register, no need to set uh, your seat aside uh, with the recommendations put out by our governor um, and the size of our church and the crowd we're expecting. Uh, you don't need to reserve a spot. Just come to whatever service uh, works best for you. So 9, 11, uh, youth ministry is going to be starting uh, that same day. And then Little Kids Zone and Nursery will start the first Sunday in July and Kids Zone uh, for the older kids uh, will start the first Sunday in August. So uh, all of it's on the website. You can go there, check it out, Facebook page, uh, even the app. If you got the app, you can open it up and, and read the full announcement. I encourage you to do that. Uh, but we are eager and excited uh, and grateful uh, to be gathering live. I do want to take just a minute uh, to thank you uh, for your patience and your generosity. I know that this has not been an easy season, but our church family is incredible. And uh, I appreciate uh, your patience with the leadership as we've uh, wrestled through these decisions. And um, one thing I'm really grateful for with our leadership is that uh, we are unified. And uh, that means a whole lot because I know a lot of churches uh, don't have that and uh, their, their leadership can't quite come to the same page. So uh, I'm grateful that, that our leadership and our church is, is unified. So um, that, that's all that. Go to the website, uh, read the full announcement, and you'll get more details there. Uh, before we get into today's message, uh, I do take want to take a minute and just kind of pray for our nation um, with uh, uh, all the racial discord and um, some of the, um, the, the rioting and things that have been happening around the country, uh, just some of the kind of civil unrest. I just want to pray for us. I, I really don't know fully what to say. Uh, I, I really don't know um, uh, fully what to do, but I do know the Lord does, and, and he is a God of peace. And I want to pray that he would bring our, uh, our community, our church, and our nation uh, to a place where we truly love one another, and we, we truly are empathetic toward one another and listen to each other's stories and try to understand uh, where they're coming from on every side of this, and that we would grow in love, that we would learn to love, uh, and we would um, uh, that the church in particular would be a shining example to the world of what it looks like to love one another. 
And so, man, I, I, it's been a long time since I have felt such a timely series as the one that we're in right now. For it having been planned months ago to be talking about love right now with everything going on in the world um, and uh, every, everything going on in our country, just to be talking about and digging down on how we can love one another better how we can empathize, how, how we can be patient and kind and all the things that love talks about. I just think it's really time, timely. And um, we don't wanna be a people that just um, denies um, the plight of, of other groups and denies that's there. We do wanna be empathetic. We do wanna be understanding. We do wanna listen. And so I just wanna pray for us. Like I said, for not knowing what to say, I just said a lot, but um, I, I wanna pray for our nation that we would come to a place of love and we would come to a place of peace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. Uh, he is the author and perfecter of love uh, and peace and joy and hope. And I, I wanna pray for our nation right now. Like I said, um, I don't know what to say, I don't know what to do, um, but I know you are a God of love and you want us to learn to love one another. And sometimes that's messy and sometimes that's hard, but it is, uh, it is worth it when we figure it out. So thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you so much for his example. It is in his name that we pray, amen. I wanna start out by asking you, what is something that your parents often said to you, right? Maybe your parents fit under the illogical category and they would say something like, don't look at me with those eyes or if you keep making that face, it'll freeze that way or if you wanna act like a child, I'll treat you like one. Maybe your parents were illogical. Maybe your parents fit under the logical category. As long as you're under my roof, you'll, fall, you'll live by my rules. God gave you a brain, use it. Ask a stupid question, you get a stupid answer. And maybe there was, they, they just tried to be more logical in that way. Maybe your parents were sarcastic and they would say things like, are your legs broken? If all your friends jumped off a bridge, would you? Oh, Jen's mom lets her do such and such, then go live with Jen's mom, I'll help you pack. Or shut the door, were you born in a barn? Maybe your parents tended to be more sarcastic. Maybe yours were more threatening. And they would say things like, I'm not asking, I'm telling. Or when you have kids, I hope they're just like you. Or don't use that tone with me, Mr. or Missy. I want to think about what your parents, as you were growing up, what they often and uh, in, in a repeated way would say to you. And then go ahead and open your Bibles to Deuteronomy 6 and answer this question. What do you think your kids, so you've thought about what your parents did, what do you think your kids will say about what you thought were the most important rules? Uh, we started a new sermon series just last week called The Summer of Love, and this week we're going to look at Deuteronomy 6. It's a text that is called the Shema, and this is actually a chapter in Deuteronomy that follows the giving of the Ten Commandments, and Israel believed that if you would get this one thing right, that if we would understand this one thing, that all the other Ten Commandments would fall into place that this is the most important thing we can discuss. And in a nation where there's a lot of civil unrest and uh, maybe disagreements between the races and uh, disagreements between cultures, in a day and age where maybe we don't know what to say about the rest of it, this is something that we can say. And this is something that we can get right. And this is the most important thing. Everything else falls into place when we understand this. Deuteronomy 6 verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts and press them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. So it starts out, this great rich text starts out with the idea that the Lord, our God, the Lord, our God is one. I love this, the Lord, our God. This is describing the personal relationship that Israel had with their God. And later through Jesus's work on the cross, the personal relationship that we are invited into with our God. For many people, God might be a separated entity that seems far away. They might believe in him, but they really don't know him. So a person that believes that God never really makes a difference in their life because he just seems so far away and so removed from them. We believe as Christians that God has invited us into a personal relationship with him. And he knows us. He knows us. It's a relationship. So he knows us. He knows what's best for us. And he is commanding us and leading us because he loves us. And we are invited to know him to the best of our ability, to know him and worship him and be in a relationship with him. He is not just the He is not just the Lord God, he is the Lord our God. There is a personal relationship here. He goes on to say, the Lord our God, he is one. And for almost every culture that surrounded Israel at the time that this was given, most of the other nations were polytheistic. They believed in multiple gods for multiple issues. So there'd be a God of the sun or a God of fertility or a God of war. And depending on what was going on in your life and in your culture and in your city or state, they would go to that God. And Israel, it was just different. They were commanded to believe in one almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing God who is equipped and is able to do anything and everything. They were reminded of this God, this all-powerful, all-knowing God when they heard the story of the creation, how God created the sun and the moon and the stars with a single word, a single command. They were reminded of this God when they heard the story of how their nation was formed, how God went to Abraham and said, leave your country, your people, your father's household, and go to a land. I'm going to form a family and then eventually a nation. And through that nation, I am going to bring blessing to the entire world. They were reminded of this God when they considered how they were rescued from slavery. How God, through Moses, went to the most powerful leader on the face of the earth and brought him to his knees with different plagues. And finally, Pharaoh almost begged Israel to leave Egypt because of the work that God had done. And they were reminded of the one powerful, almighty, and graceful God that they were to follow, that they were to worship, that they were commanded to trust him. See, in the midst of the chaos, remember the Lord our God. He is with us, he is powerful, and he is in charge. And it's easy to think about previous cultures in the history of the world and to say, man, worshiping the God of rain or worshiping the God of war, it's kind of silly. But make no mistake about it, America and our culture, we sometimes are tempted to trust another 
right? We may not call it traditional idol worship, but we do trust in another. To be honest, I think this pandemic has kind of revealed to all of us what we are most tempted to turn to in times of stress. That maybe you've te been tempted to turn uh, to entertainment, and you wouldn't want to admit it to anybody, but you've watched the Tiger King three times, right? You're, you're drawn to entertainment. Maybe you're tempted to turn for food to, to food. I saw uh, right now that the average American has gained about five pounds during the pandemic, and I'm jealous of the average American. I've gained a little bit more than that, but we're tempted to turn to anger. Some people are tempted to turn to anger in times of stress. We're tempted to turn to politics as though politics will be our savior. And here's the truth, as basic as I can make it, loving those things, loving those things, loving a politician more than anything, loving food more than anything, loving your anger more than anything, loving entertainment more than anything, those things will never lead to life. They will never lead us to freedom. They will never take us where we want to go. I know that when I was working from home, I found myself snacking all the time, just kind of instinctively, and eating a ton of sugar. And about a week or so ago, I decided enough was enough, enough sugar, enough weight gain, that sort of thing, that I'm gonna make a change. And coming off that snacking and coming off that sugar has been terrible. I've had withdrawals and cravings, and it's been really hard. And it's a reminder to, to me that, man, I turned to this, I turned to sugar to make me happy. Where it led me was slavery. And it's just been a small kind of simple reminder to me that God is leading me to life. So I, listen, I honestly believe this. Before we ever talk about loving others, and before we ever talk about loving our neighbor, before we ever talk about any of that, loving the Lord our God, loving God is the most important thing we can learn to do. So the text says, love this Lord, the Lord our God, who's all-knowing, all-powerful, and in control. Love the Lord our God with all your heart. In the Hebrew, uh, in the Hebrew language, this described a person's center. It's like the overarching thing that guides everything that we do. And on a lesser scale, I think we all understand this, that your love of a certain sports team guides you uh, in that sport. So it guides who you cheer for. If you have a team, that guides who you cheer for. It guides uh, the swag that you buy. It might even guide the vacations that you go on to see that team play. Your love of a certain author will guide the way that you consume books. Right? You'll buy their books. You'll buy the books they recommend. You'll buy the books of the genre that they tend to write in. Your love of family, it will guide you. It, you'll seek out experiences to have fun together. You'll have some rules for your house. Your family will be guided and defined by your love for them. And listen, whether you've thought about this or not, we all have the thing, the thing that guides us, this overarching value, this overarching belief that guides everything that we do. This scripture is exhorting us and reminding us to have that be the love of God. That loving God is at the center of our being and it guides every decision that we make. So he says, love God with all of your heart. Love God with all of your soul. This word carries with it the idea of spiritual life. There's the physical stuff of life that you gotta have food to survive, water, oxygen. And then there's the spiritual stuff of life. 
that God has placed inside of every single one of us when he created you. He created, you know, your eyes and your body and your talents and all of this stuff. And then he placed inside of you a soul, that you have a soul deep inside of you. And that soul was created by God and it desires worship. He says, love God with all of your soul. In other words, worship the Lord your God and worship him alone. Can I tell you something? This pandemic that that we've uh, been in, uh, it did dictate that we had to stay away from this building. It did not dictate that we had to stay away from worship. Always keep those two things separate. It dictated that we couldn't gather together for a worship service. We couldn't gather together to worship together, but it did not dictate that we had to stay away from worship altogether. You have a soul inside of you, and no one, no one can stop you from worshiping. You're able and encouraged to worship God whenever you want. Love the Lord your God with all your soul. Love the Lord your God with all your strength. This is uh, the Hebrew word. It carries with it the idea of diligence. Diligence is something that my wife talks to a lot with our eight-year-old. She's homeschooling him. And she's often trying to get him to see that discipline and hard work are often required to complete a task. So when you're working on math, he sometimes gets frustrated when they're doing math. She's like, oh, no, diligent. Be diligent. Discipline and hard work. And here's the truth. You might not always feel great affection in your heart for God. You might not always feel that from the center of your being. But sometimes, and you might not always feel that way, but you can always choose to walk in diligence and discipline, and you can choose to love God every day. In other words, through discipline, we can show up in prayer. We can show up in service. We can worship him. We don't just have to follow our emotions, although emotions are also God-given, but we, they sometimes lead us astray. We don't have to just follow our emotions. We can follow our discipline. Later on, the scriptures, it's not in this text, but the scriptures will say later on, love God with all of your mind. But this is another one of those discipline things that we can train our minds to focus on and love God and think about the things of God. The Apostle Paul, years and years later after Deuteronomy, would say it this way. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me, or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. This text describes the things of God, the things that God is all about. God is all about what is right. God is all about what is lovely. God is all about what is excellent and praiseworthy. These things describe who God is and what he's about. And he says, man, if we can train our minds to think about God, and to think about the things that God brings into this world, and to learn to love those things, then the peace of God will follow. And we've seen this during the pandemic, at least I have, that when you're learning to love a thing of God, 
and the thing that God is all about, it just tends to bring this peace, right? You're thinking about uh, some characteristic of God that, uh, of why he's so praiseworthy, or you're thinking about a part of God's creation that, like your child's laugh, which is just lovely, or your mind is focused on a truth about God from his word. In that moment, the peace of God just floods over you because you're focused on this love of God and this love of this thing that God is all about. When your mind is focused on stress and things that God, God is not all about, it just compounds and builds and gets bigger and bigger and bigger. So Paul says we want to focus our mind to focus on loving God and loving the things of God. Here's the truth. Loving God is the most important thing that we can learn to do. Learning to love God is the most important thing we can learn to do. So throughout the Old and New Testament, the exhortation is, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Learn to love God. And here's, what, here's a piece of advice I would give to you. So how do you learn to love God? You, you grow in your knowledge of God. That, that's, I really believe that. Grow in your knowledge of God. Spend time with him, study him, read about him, experience him in nature. Just grow in your knowledge of God. Learn what God is all about because to know God is to love God. And so if you're looking to grow in your love of God, man, I would encourage you, be in his word. Take a walk out in nature. Observe a sunset or a sunrise. Spend time with your children that God created. Just grow in your knowledge of who God is. Read uh, the gospels where uh, God became flesh, a human being named Jesus, and he walked this earth for uh, three and a half years. And just grow in your knowledge of Jesus because to know God is to love God. And what ended up happening as the Bible went on is this theory began to take hold, kind of a weird theory, but I, I see this in, in, in people sometimes, that as long as I love God, loving God is the most important thing. So as long as I love God, it really doesn't matter how I treat others and how I love others. And it was Jesus, you know, who happened on the scene years later, and he was asked about this, and he really tries to set the record straight. And here's what he said. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Right? Jesus said, this is the most important thing. Learn to love God. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. We talked about this text in an earlier series about the relationship between loving God and loving others. The phrase, the second is like it, right? The second command is, is like it, could almost be understood in this way, this kind of American vernacular, is it is of no surprise. It is of no surprise. So it is of no surprise that the, Jesus says that a person who loves God, a person who loves the Lord, would end up loving people. It is of no surprise that a person who loves God would love their neighbor. They just go together. John later will take it even a step further. He says, if you say you love God but hate your brother, you're a liar. So the question is, why do they go together, right? Why does loving God 
and loving others? Why do those just go together in this way that it is of no surprise when you love God, you love others, that they're just married together. Why, why is that? And I think it starts with a desire to follow the command of Jesus. As a person who loves God, as a person who loves Jesus, our desire is to obey him. Because we love him and because we know he loves us, we obey his commands. And he repeatedly, 11 times, 11 times in the New Testament, we read this command, love one another, love one another, love one another. And there are even more commandments than that on love, but just 11 times the command, love one another. So as a Christian, who desires to love God better and better, of course we desire to follow his commandments. And one of his commands is that we love one another. So I think this is something that we can find ourselves just kind of commanding ourselves to do. That today, I might not feel it. I might actually feel angry today. Or I might feel frustrated. Or I might feel angsty. But today, I'm going to command myself to take a loving step towards somebody I see. I'm going to command myself into love. And I think that's a good habit to get into. So first of all, it's a, it's a desire to follow the commands of our Savior. The second is seeing the example of Jesus and wanting to be more like him. Right? When you think about Jesus, he shows us this incredible example of love. And, and that example is really important to us as followers of his. Of his. Consider his example of compassion. That Jesus was incredibly compassionate. Right? Consider his example of showing respect, that often he would show respect to people that the culture didn't really show respect to, like um, women and children, the downtrodden, the poor, and Jesus would just step in and show them incredible respect. It's a way that he showed love. Jesus showed respect by being an extraordinary listener. Jesus uh, showed love uh, by, uh, through encouragement. That encouragement is the language of love, is one of the languages of love. And Jesus, read the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and you will see the constant encouragement and challenge that Jesus is giving to his earlier followers. He's encouraging them to stay faithful. He's encouraging them in love. Jesus was an encouraging person. And then lastly, he served, Right? He, he, he sets the example through service, that he regularly served the needs of other people. And in, a, in a story that just blows me away, uh, right before he went to the cross, he washes the feet of the people that were going to turn their back on him and betray him and deny him. Jesus knew what they were going to do, and he washed their feet anyway. He sets the example for us, and we try to follow that example like what Vadi Bacham, uh, a pastor, said. He said, we've bought uh, the lie of the Greco-Roman myth of romantic love, an overwhelming feeling because, uh, be because of all that many are terrified of marriage. The definition of biblical love is taken from Matthew 22 and Deuteronomy 6. Biblical love is the act of the will. First and foremost, it is a choice. We do, not, we, we do choose who we love. It is accompanied by emotions. It is not void of emotion and also not led by emotions. Biblical love leads to action on behalf of the object. He goes on to say, Jesus Christ is our model of love. Jesus does not love the church because she makes him happy. Jesus loves the church because he loves the church, because she's his bride. Jesus Christ chooses to love the church. It's the example of Christ. So we have Jesus' example, 
the commands of God are why these are so closely related, but we also have the work of the Spirit, that when you became a Christian, Jesus gives you the Holy Spirit, who is transforming you into the likeness of Jesus, who is the greatest example of love the world has ever seen. So of course, if the Spirit's transforming you into the likeness of Jesus, of course the Spirit is going to start with love, right? And you say, what do you mean start with love? I I shared this uh, a week ago or so, I think, but the, the fruit of the Spirit is love. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But the very first fruit of the Spirit is love, and everything starts with love. Here's what I mean. Let me conclude with this. The first commandment we are given is love God. Love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Learn to love God the very next thing that happens, right? So we're gonna learn to love God as we're learning to love him, as we're listening to his commands, as we're receiving the Holy Spirit, as we're seeing the example of Jesus who loved so well, right? As as we follow those things, the very first thing that happens when we learn to love God, the very first thing that happens is we love our neighbor. We love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And man, I don't know what the answer is to all the world's problems right now. There's a lot of them, right? Our our world is as divided as I can remember in my lifetime. I I know some folks that are older in our church probably remember other times where it's been this bad, but it's as bad as I remember it. And I don't know what the solutions are. I don't know what the answers are. But here's what I know. Learn to love God first. Love God first with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And it will make the most sense of anything in the world. The very first thing that will happen when you learn to love God is you will begin to love others. And you will love them with a, a, a graceful, forgiving, overwhelming love that our world needs to see right now. And our world needs to be changed by it right now. Our world needs an example of it right now. And they have the example of Christ, but I would also love to see them have the example of the church. That we are not gonna engage in name calling, that we are not gonna engage in anger and hatred, but we are gonna run into the situation in, in terms of the people around us, and we are gonna run in with love and we are gonna demonstrate the love of our Savior. We're gonna follow his command. We're gonna follow his example. We're gonna receive his Holy Spirit, and we are going to love well because we love God. And this is the work of God. He is love. God is love, and he is showing us how to love. We just need to follow his example. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus, who is the ultimate example of love. May we learn to love the way that he loves. May we not run into situations like our nation is struggling with right now with um, anger, name calling, hurtful remarks. May we run in with love. And may our world and our church and our community be changed by that love. It is in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. This is an opportunity for those of you participating in communion at home uh, to remember that love and to say, man, God, thank you so much for loving me.
God, it's a time for you to express your love for him. I love you so much. And then second, the very first thing after that, the second thing, how can I love the people around me? How can I love the people that I'm on Facebook with? How can I love the people that I'm quarantined with? How can I love the people in my family? How can I love people that are in other racial groups, other economic groups? God, how are you calling me to love? Because I wanna love like you. So receive communion, remember his love, receive the bread that represents Jesus' body, receive the juice that represents his blood, remember his love, and then be changed by it. Leave that moment absolutely convicted and committed to loving the people around you that same way. Hey, I know I'm gonna see some of you uh, next Sunday. I'm excited to do that. I know some of you are gonna need to stay home um, uh, because you're immune compromised or you're uncomfortable and feel absolutely no guilt about that. We completely understand and we do look forward to seeing you whenever that's possible and uh, we'll, uh, we'll see you online again. Uh, like I said at the beginning of this, we don't know for sure how all that's gonna unfold. Uh, but we are committed uh, to getting messages to our home audience. And so um, you can kind of look for that on social media, website, and app. And I will see you soon. God bless.